Good morning. This is Dr. Dan Guerra from Authentic Biochemistry coming to you on the 16th of April, 2019. <clears throat> We're going to be talking today about ALS. That's amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. Specifically, we're going to be talking about the HDAC4 isozyme. That's the histone deacetylase 4 isozyme and its expression in skeletal muscle in the ALS mouse model disease systems. So let's get started. I'm going to topic this as the HDAC, HDAC <coughs> paradox in ALS. The paper that we're going to be looking at today is uh, published online for free, and it's in um, e-biomedicine, which is actually published by The Lancet. Title of the paper real quickly is Histone Deacetylase 4 Protects from Denervation and Skeletal Muscle Atrophy in a Murine Model of ALS. Okay, This was published uh, February 2019, it's volume 40, pages 717 to uh, 732. So, all right. Now, what is ALS? <clears throat> ALS involves a motor neuron degeneration that results in skeletal muscle weakness and atrophy with a small local involuntary muscle contraction and then relaxing twitching. Uh, that's also known as fasciculation, by the way. The more common cause of fasciculation when it presents in the clinic is actually just simple muscle fatigue. And you get this in elite uh, athletes. Sometimes you also see it in a very rare magnesium deficiency uh, and also could be linked to alcoholism, drug abuse, and even certain pharmaceutical drug use. <clears throat> so the ALS form of it is the unusual form. ALS though, ultimately causes a deterioration of speech and swallowing, progressive paralysis, and ultimately, of course, death because of respiratory failure, and that's due to the complete failure of lung capacity. And that can usually happen within two to three years after the initial presentation. So it's a very deadly disease, very destructive disease, high morbidity. ALS is considered a pure motor neuron disease, with a fifth of it inherited uh, directly from a copper-zinc superoxide dismutase, or SOD1, autosomal dominant mutation. Okay, so a mutation in the SOD1 gene is linked to about a fifth of all the inherited forms. There are, of course, idiopathic forms. So siRNA against the mutant SOD1, that small interfering RNA against it, in skeletal muscle didn't counteract the disease in mice, suggested maybe that skeletal muscle itself is not important. An emerging observation after this whole thing from research labs is that motor neuron degeneration is not endogenous to the motor neuron. So that's a phenomenon <coughs> that's called in cell biology, non-cell autonomy. <coughs> As in other <coughs> neurodegenerative diseases like uh, Alzheimer's disease, it is the activation of microglia that induces neuroinflammation via secretion of pro-inflammatory cytokines. This bleed maybe to play a role here also in ALS. But what is unique in motor neuron diseases like ALS, skeletal muscle cells deploy retrograde, that means toward the CNS, signals that alter motor neuron survival and actual disease severity. <coughs> 
Transgenic murine muscle specific expression of a mutated SOD1 gene, uh, again, in, in a mouse model, recapitulates some of that ALS presentation. What do they see in terms of presentation? Severe myopathy, neuromuscular junction or NMG abnormalities, and coherently CNS motor neuron degeneration. There is a notable retrograde signal from that transgenic skeletal muscle, um, which comes from a microRNA 206 that actually changes muscle reinnervation and ALS progression. So MIR-206, that particular interfering RNA, targets something. What does it target? Histone deacetylase 4. We'll talk more about that soon. <clears throat> now, I'm gonna, I went back and I wanted to give you some basic up, uh, uh, upscale understanding of HDAC4. This is from a paper <laughs> published in PNAS way back in 2007. But it's still relevant because it's the fundamental aspects of HDAC4. <clears throat> now, listen to this. Class 2A histone deacetylases, they're all called HDACs, including HDAC4, but also 5, 7, and 9, are inactive, actually, on acetylated substrates. So they're not like class 1 and class 2B enzymes. So they actually don't deacetylate um, histones or any acetylated substrate, um, unlike all the other HDACs. So they're called that, but that's not what they do. So we know this because pan-HDAC inhibitors don't actually bind to recombinant human HDAC4. So there are, there are inhibitors that <coughs> inhibit at the active site all the HDACs, and they don't work on HDAC4, the human form of it. So there is a catalytic tyrosine residue that's conserved in all the HDACs and all the vertebrates in, in class 2A enzymes, where it's replaced, but however, in class 2 enzymes, it's replaced by histidine. Histidine is not, not the amino acid that uh, tyrosine is. It, it, uh, it's not going to be a functional active site, and therefore that uh, histidine residue in the 2As uh, confer the resistance of it to canonical inhibitors. <clears throat> Again, it's not really an HDAC. Okay? Remember that classical HDACs, what, this is now something I've talked about a lot in authentic biochemistry and also in Barrett-Med, if the substrate is indeed a histone and not some other cellular enzyme or transcription factor, which it can be, so HDAX will collapse euchromatin to heterochromatin, and that normally suppresses global gene expression because RNA polymerase can't get in to cause gene expression. Okay, So that means an increased gene expression because it results in an increase in acetylated histone-associated chromatin. So if you have HDAX, which deacetylate, and you inhibit the HDAC, you're going to get more acetylated histone, going to have more euchromatin. That means you're going to allow for more RNA polymerase 2 to get in and overall more gene transcription. So that's the idea. <coughs> so back to HDAC4A, which is a, a type 2A HDAC. Um, the histidine rather than the tyrosine hydroxyl group in the active site renders it non-functional. So it's not going to work on a histone acetyl lysine residue, which is normally how they work. So relative to all those discussions, HDAC4 is a skeletal muscle stress response epigenetic factor, and it does mediate responses to denervation through transcriptional and cytoplasmic actions, but it does it differently than this deacetylation. <coughs> Upon denervation, 
HDAC4 transcription is significantly induced in skeletal muscle, but represses transcription of a protein called DAC2, and that activates MAP kinase AP1. Those are checkpoint type of enzymes and also global anabolic systems. There's a signaling cascade in the cytoplasm and promotes neurogenic muscle atrophy. Okay? So when you get an increase in HDAC4, it seems to induce neurogenic muscle atrophy. Now, on the PLOS Genetics 2015, PLOS, uh, that is a PLOS Genetics 2015 paper, reported that this DAC2, DACH2, is related to muscle disease, including Huntington's disease, HD. <coughs> Skeletal muscle remodeling, contractile dysfunction do occur through both acute and chronic disease in HD during the accumulation of the insoluble aggregates of a misfolded amyloid protein called the Huntington protein. In a mouse HD model, progressive impairment of the contractile properties, the hind limb muscles tibialis anterior TA and the extensor digitorum longus or EDL, all that's linked to significant loss of motor units in the EDL. Again, that's the extensor digitorum longus. And that's all associated with transcriptional dysregulation, contractile protein mRNA, and their dependent upstream transcriptional regulators. That's how all that works. HD, of course, is a frank neurological disease, but it presents with skeletal muscle atrophy. So you got a neurological disease with skeletal muscle atrophy. <coughs> Excuse me. Muscle force in those animals is greatly impaired due to an aberrant expression of an HDAC4, DAC2, myogenin gene axis, okay? So it looks like the HDAC4 forms a bond with DAC2 and with myogenin. And all of that is how the HDAC4 actually works, not via decetylation. So <clears throat> skeletal muscle is the most abundant tissue in the body. If you know that, then now, if you didn't know it, now you do. Actually, it's about 40% of body weight in a healthy adult. Composed of multinucleated fibers that contract to generate force and movement. That's how skeletal muscle works. Skeletal muscle possesses a remarkable ability to regenerate, however, and go through rapid repair following severe damage caused by exercise, toxins, or even diseases. <clears throat> the atrophy caused by degeneration of myofibers and the replacement by my, my fibrotic tissue is a major pathological feature of many of the genetic muscle disorders. Okay, you got that? Degeneration of myofibers, replacement by fibrotic tissue. That's the major pathology. <clears throat> now, skeletal muscle atrophy in HD, that's Huntington's disease, is a comorbidity that's observed in catabolic disease and in other conditions like, for example, cancer, congestive heart failure, sepsis, and obesity-linked sedentary lifestyle. So you see a lot of se sedentary skeletal muscle atrophy that looks a lot like HD, at least in first blush. Now, the muscle function is dependent upon intrinsic, hypertrophic, and atrophic signals. Now, all that's linked to a functional property of the motor unit, and all that's dysfunctional in a disease like HD. Transcriptional deregulation is part of the HD pathology, therefore, and it's in the CNS. And it's a similar transcriptional profile in the skeletal muscles, indeed the quadriceps, <clears throat> and that all has been observed consistent with the transition from a fast twitch to a slow twitch muscle fiber type when you're moving towards progression of HD. In HD, both type 1 slow and two, uh, type 2 are the fast twitch muscles. 
were atrophic, but there was more type 1 fibers in the skeletal muscle, suggesting conversion of type 2 to type 1 has occurred during the process of muscle atrophy. And that's what we observe. Now, observed, there's an observed upregulation of the genes, encoding slow type contractile proteins like TNN1 and MYH7 in the TA and EDL and the GP muscles of HD mouse models. Consequently, transcripts are for fast contractile proteins, which are actually the TNN3 isoform and the MYH2 isoform, MYH standing for myosin heavy light chain 2. <clears throat> Those are all downregulated in muscles when you get uh, HD. There's a progressive loss of motor units in the EDL muscle, uh, and as compared to wild type and severely affected mice develop a progressive uh, increase in the number of motor end plates, and they all fail to respond to neural trans- uh, stimulation. Action potentials in diseased muscles are more easily triggered and prolonged than in the wild type with HD. And the expression of the muscle chloride channel, which is called CIC1, <coughs> and the KCNJ2, which is a potassium uh, inward channel, inward rectifying channel, those transcripts are also significantly reduced. And defects in RNA processing are detected, and they may partially explain the whole sciatic nerve degeneration you see in HD. But the CNS is also degenerative in HD, and in HD patients' brains, degenerative changes occur in the amygdala, uh, affecting the insular cortex, and that's all in the prodromal phase. So what else is going on in terms of bioenergetics is muscle ATP and phosphocreatine and inorganic phosphate levels all tank in both symptomatic and in pre-symptomatic HD patients. In addition, the HD patients, there, uh, we find a drop in mitochondrial oxidative metabolism, like fatty acid oxidation, and in fact, a decrease in mitochondrial biogenesis. <clears throat> there's an inactivation of HDAC4, um, uh, and that suppresses the denervation-like induced muscle atrophy while increasing reinnervation, which suggests there might be a role for HDAC in activity-dependent muscle remodeling. So it could be that HDAC is actually positive. <clears throat> HDAC upregulation is significantly greater in patients with rapidly progressive ALS, however, and that's negatively correlated with the extent of muscle reinnervation and functional outcomes. So there's a paradox here. So here's some core ideas walking away from this PLOS One paper. In the CNS, you get a mutant Huntington protein. You get CNS dysfunction because of the plaque formation. And you get HD-related skeletal muscle atrophy subsequent to it. Starting from a skeletal muscle, though, you also get a mutant Huntington protein. Um, that generates Huntington inclusions, which dysregulates transcription, which leads to muscle atrophy. <clears throat> it furthermore causes fast and slow twitch, uh, decreased oxidation and energy metabolism. And because of decreased twitch and t- titanic force, re-expression of contractile transcripts also starts to take. So finally, back to this ALS paper. Skeletal muscle specific deletion of HDAC4 worsens the pathological features of ALS, and that precedes and exacerbates skeletal muscle loss and denervation, suggesting that HDAC modulates several biochemical networks. So what are some key points? HDAC is responsible for transcriptional regulation of synaptic acetylcholine receptors, and that MIR-206 I told you about, which is positive. HDAC4 deletion in skeletal muscle caused 
earlier ALS onset characterized by body weight loss, muscle de-innervation and atrophy, and compromised muscle performance, although all the main metabolic activities don't seem to be affected directly there. Transcriptome analysis identified, looking at this HDAC deletion, that all of that seems to be modulated in the ALS platform by revealing that UCP1, the uncoupling protein 1, is the top regulated uh, regulator implicated in worsening ALS features. All right? So, <clears throat> paradoxically, pan-HDAC inhibitors, which are called HDACIs, which non-specifically block, block and activate block the activation of class 1 and 2 HDACs, restore muscle mass and function, enhance survival in the murine model. So you see, using these pan-HDAC inhibitors, it was una- we were unaware that the HDAC4 is actually a positive a player here. But, but we didn't see it because HDAC4 is not inhibited by the pan-inhibitors. <clears throat> In fact, when people use the inhibitors, in phase two clinical trials, getting away from the mouse model, they didn't have any good effect on human ALS. So that means that maybe all of that inhibition of HDAC is not even useful. In fact, there are no, expre- no changing expression of different members of the HDAC superfamily in the spinal cords of ALS mice, while there's a significant increase in expression of the class 2 HDACs that we just mentioned, there are in the skeletal muscle uh, in those diseased animals. Now, specific inhibition of the class 2 HDACs in ALS mice induced motor improvement and increased skeletal muscle logical potential, although no effects on survival were found. However, the low inhibitory efficiency of the HDAC2 inhibitors, because remember, it only, only inhibits the class 2B, not the 2A forms, um, might be the possible reason you even see any effect from that treatment. So you see the point. In the details of HDAC molecular form or isoform, understanding the absolute molecular mechanism modulated by HDAC is what's really necessary to use the uh, genetic approach. So what are the actual results here? HDAC4 deletion in a superoxide dismutase mouse model shortens ALS onset. However, ALS progression did, uh, did not significantly change. HDAC4 Muscular knockout mice showed more muscle atrophy. So when you knock out HDAC4, you get more atrophy. And that's characterized by a significant higher number of smaller myofibers and lower number of the bigger ones. Since neuromuscular junctions uh, and their degeneration and muscle denervation are the two main features of ALS that precede prodromally and contribute to neurogenic muscle atrophy, it's noted that the HDAC4 muscular knockout mouse had reduced NMG surface area with a concomitant higher percentage of denervated NMGs, which means, again, HDAC4 plays a positive role. If you delete it, it's not good. So HDAC4 deletion in muscle does not affect motor neuron bodies in the CNS and ALS, and there are no changes in the choline acetyltransferase, which is actually a motor neuron marker uh, in those knockouts. Since the activation of catabolic pathways, such as ubiquitin proteasome system, the UPS system, and autophagy is associated with muscle atrophy. It's asked whether the HDAC4 knockout increased UPS, and the answer was emphatically no. Okay. However, HDAC4, so that means that the ubiquitin proteasome system doesn't seem to be organized around the system, okay, around the ALS pathology, I mean. <clears throat> However, HDAC4 knockout mainly increased intracellular signal transduction, increased muscle 
development and contraction and metabolism, therefore in, uh, increasing a cellular response to insulin signaling and to lipid metabolism. So as a primary cause of ALS and motor neuron degeneration, skeletal muscle emerges as the primary target of the disease. That's why it's called amyotrophic, which literally means, of course, lack of muscle nourishment uh, in Greek. Without the nerve, skeletal muscle undergoes progressive atrophy, and this contributes to progression of the disease, and you get the dying back model. <coughs> Expression of the HDAC4 in a skeletal muscle of ALS patients correlates with the severity of the disease progression with an early upregulation of HDAC4 in muscle at 12 weeks, followed by a net decrease continuing on through the next 15 weeks of age in the muscle model and the mouse model. <coughs> Expression patterns suggest a function of HDAC4 and skeletal muscle at the pre-onset stage. Therefore, sod transgenic mice are a widely used animal model in the study of ALS. And in those mice, the transgenic overexpression of that mutated human SOD1 gene uh, in a subset familial ALS results in a phenotype closely recapitulating the human disease feature. When you delete the HDAC4 in, in that background, <clears throat> in the skeletal muscle, you drastically worsen the pathological features of ALS by causing a precocious disease onset, by inducing a significant decrease in body weight and muscle atrophy because of that muscle knockout of HDAC4. That shows a significant reduction in muscle strength as early as 12 weeks. So neuromuscular junction degeneration is one of the main ALS features, causes neurogenic muscle atrophy and eventually lethal respiratory failure. As we've said, skeletal muscle actively influences the neurodegeneration process in ALS by expressing and releasing signals and the influence of maintenance of synaptic connections, axonal growth, and neural survival, of course. So skeletal muscle HDAC4, here's a key point, regulates ALS onset, having a protective role for neuromuscular junctions and indeed for muscle innervation. Hypermetabolism will induce a chronic energy deficit in skeletal muscle of SOD mice, and that proceeds contribu uh, contributing muscle denervation and ultimately, indeed, ALS progression. <clears throat> what this study identifies is new functions for HDAC4 in skeletal muscle in ALS, whose deletion is sufficient to induce earlier onset of the disease, and that's, of course, characterized by the muscle denervation, decrease in neuromuscular junction size, and the whole overall functional deficit, which is, of course, accompanied by an exacerbated muscle atrophy over time. Now, let me just finish with this. From a compendium study on genes related to age-associated muscle atrophy, which is, of course, called sarcopenia, among the genes with the strongest association with aging were H3, that's histone 3, family 3B, and HDAC4. <coughs> okay, that's a skeletal muscle paper from 2015. From a primary research paper, it's reported that my the myokine irisin causes the degradation of HDAC4 in a reperfused cardiomyocyte system during recovery of mitochondrial integrity and indeed uh, cardiac muscle function. And that indicates indirectly that HDAC4 expression is a negative event in damaged cardiac muscle. Okay, so what I want you to understand then, and that, oh, that came a PLOS one paper in 2016, is that where HDAC4 may be a positive player in ALS particularly in muscle atrophy and in onset <coughs> progression of disease, it does not play the same role in other muscle diseases. And indeed, inhibition of a global class of HDACs, uh, which is what is done regularly 
um, in um, in these systems. Uh, uh, try, it was an initial therapy, right, using inhibitors of HDEX. Uh, it seemed to work well in the mouse model because it was knocking out the HDEX that were not of the 2A class, one of which is HDEX 4A. Um, it looks like that's not probably the good way to go because the clinical studies did not see any effect, positive effect there. Uh, but no negative effect, really, because HDEC4 isn't affected by those inhibitions. Could be that we want HDEC4 up in skeletal muscle and ALS patients, uh, and we want to inhibit HDECs in other systems, maybe in the central nervous system, but that remains to be seen. So um, hopefully you got an idea of the complexity of histodeacetylases and the fact that even though an enzyme is named something like that, Indeed, there are isoforms of the enzyme where the key um, amino acid residue that is involved in the catalytic event, which deacetylates lysine residues, for example, in histones, when that when that histidine, when that tyrosine hydroxyl group in that HDAC is replaced by a histidine and it no longer can function, the HDAC can no longer function as a deacetylase, it takes on a new role. It doesn't mean it takes on no role. It takes on a role that's associated with transcriptional control of the bioenergetics, okay? For example, linked to this whole ubiquitin system in the proteasomal pathway, and perhaps also to the uncoupling protein. So overall, it appears to suggest that you can't use global inhibition of any class of enzymes in probably any kind of pathology without first screening, back screening populations of cells and asking, do all of the isoforms of those enzymes react the same way? <clears throat> when you do that, you may actually find, for example, if you had used a monoclonal antibody to an HDAC4, you might actually find more severe progression of the ALS disease, whereas you may actually see a decrease in progression of cardiomyopathy, as I just pointed out, looking at those other model systems. So just another key case in point where a dialectical understanding of the event ontological aspects of disease is necessary through time to be able to interpret more correctly and more soundly how pharmacological treatment of diseases can or cannot function to repeal a given disease disorder. So hopefully that uh, uh, message came home to you. And excuse me for the little bit of coughing there. I'm getting over <coughs> I uh, flu and couldn't wait any longer. I had to give you this talk. So I'm going to stop recording. This is again, Dr. Daniel J. Guerra. This is the 16th of April, 2019. This is Authentic Biochemistry and bye for now.